Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. David, thank you uh, very much for reading. Do please keep that Bible passage uh, open in front of you. We're looking through uh, this little letter of 2 Thessalonians as we uh, head into Easter towards Easter. And uh, I think you'll find it also helpful if you dig out this um, uh, little handout uh, that was uh, tucked inside the bundle on the way in the blue one, uh, just so you can see where we're going in the next few moments. And uh, let me pray for us now. Christ will hold me fast. We thank you very much for that great truth. We pray that you would assure us and reassure us of that as we look at your word this morning and help us to know how we also should respond in the light of the the tempter that we've been singing of. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, these uh, figures won't surprise you. Home office figures from January this year tell us that violent crime in the UK is on the increase. Murder and manslaughter up 14%. Robbery up 19%. Sexual offences also up by a fifth. Public order offences went up 24% last year. Uh, I guess at times we feel as we walk around, uh, perhaps late at night, the streets are not safe. But desperately, neither are our homes. Uh, Domestic abuse is increasing. Um... And then in our homes, the misuse of computers is rife, including child pornography. That's increasing as well. All this is going on behind closed doors. It's what we saw last week, actually, in chapter 2, verse 7. If you were here, the secret power of lawlessness is at work in the world. That is, rebellion against God's law is running right through society, whether it's out there or in our homes. But um, lawlessness is not only expressed in the the extreme and the the obvious flagrant disregard of God's law. It is uh, subtle and it is seductively appealing. Every time we watch the television, the power of advertising makes us want what we don't have. Suddenly, covetousness, the tenth of the Ten Commandments, is grabbing us. We're jealous of those who have what we don't have. Uh, It's not just the influences from out there, it comes from in here as well. Every time I don't love others, I am lawless against God's law. God's law is about love. Uh, Remember Jesus summarised the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. And of course all the time we consider God's law as restrictive. Um, Well not all the time, but regularly we do. The, The alternative seems so liberating, so attractive. Of course, that's how it is. Back in the Garden of Eden, Satan 
first tempted Eve by telling her that God wasn't out for her good. Satan said that following him would bring freedom. You see, disobeying God always appears to be deliciously attractive compared to following his law. And so every day, whether it's from out there or from in here, we find ourselves drawn towards paying no attention to God's law. Uh, Understand me, not a life of total anarchy, but a a life that is at heart selfish and self-centered and self-first. A life that doesn't conform to God's law, taking us away from God. The secret power of lawlessness is at work in the world. And so, in our reading today, chapter 2, verse 15, we need to stand firm and hold on. Some of the most harrowing news footage I've uh, ever seen was of the Boxing Day tsunami in 2004. You've probably seen it as well. Seeing people holding on for dear life. It was so distressing to watch it. People holding on to something solid so that they wouldn't be swept away to their death. Well, look, we live in a, a world where there is a spiritual tsunami of lawlessness trying to sweep us away to our spiritual death. And there's one thing we need to hold on to to stop us from being swept away, verse 15. Hold on to the teachings of the apostles. See there, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the teachings we passed on to you, the teachings of the apostles. So the first point, if you're with me on the handout, read the word, stand firm and hold on. Verse 15 says, hold on to the word of God, the Bible. That is the one thing, the one thing that will stop us from being swept away in this lawless world. That's uh, one of the reasons why we spend so much time in this church studying the Bible. On Sundays, in small groups, we always get the Bible open. And it's so important that we do that for ourselves individually every day. It is the only way to hold on. This is the solid, immovable, unchangeable truth in an ever-changing world. I met someone recently who, who had been involved in church in the past. Back in his uni days, he was involved in the Christian Union. I asked him why he didn't go to church anymore. Was it because he didn't believe it anymore? No, he said. To be honest, I just got busy. My career was demanding more and more of me. I gradually stopped going to church and I gave up the midweek small group. I got out of the habit of reading the Bible for myself every day. And then he was really honest with me. He said, and then I had a moral choice to make and I decided to do what I knew Christians shouldn't do and I've not been involved with church since. See how it happened for that man? He didn't wake up one day and decide to stop following Jesus. It was a gradual erosion. He had other priorities, his career. He stopped listening to God's word. And eventually he couldn't resist the pressure to conform to the world, to do something that he knew God's word clearly prohibited. He couldn't resist the power power of lawlessness because he wasn't holding on to God's word. That's the one way to stand firm. Verse 15, to hold on to the apostles' teaching, to the Bible. By contrast, I was in a meeting in London this week and we were, we were introduced to a man who was going to lead one of the sessions. He, he's just retired from being chairman of Global Financial Services for one of the largest auditing companies in the world. And the person introducing him before uh, he led this session said this of him, Justin travelled all over the world with his job. Most weeks he was on a plane to a different continent in the world, but he always planned his diary so that he could be with us with his small group 
on a Thursday. And then he turned to Justin before he's going to lead this, this, this session and said, why did you do that? And Justin said, I know that meeting with God's word and studying, meeting with God's people and studying God's word will keep me from going astray. And my eternal destiny is more important than any work I ever did. One of the, one of the, the real big wigs in global finances. My eternal destiny is more important than any work I ever did. See, Justin understood and believed that with the secret power of lawlessness at work in the world, for him to stand as a Christian, he had to hold on to the teaching of the apostles, the Bible. Now that is the big takeaway point from this passage. If you hear nothing else, hear that. The present imperatives, if you like that kind of language, are there in verse 15. With all the lawlessness in the world, keep standing firm and keep holding on to God's word. And if that's the big point, you might think, terrific, end of sermon, we're done. Well, five to ten, far too early for that. No, no, look, this isn't going to be the shortest forward sermon of all time. And believe me, you wouldn't want it to, even though I've given you the big point. Because if that's all there was to say, it wouldn't leave us feeling very secure. See, while verse 15 is the big thing, just reading verse 15 will leave us believing it's all down to us to hold on. Is it just down to me? Years ago, when uh, our children were much younger, one of them said to me, Daddy, I'm worried that one day, when I'm older, I'll stop following Jesus. I won't keep following Jesus. Now, I could have said to that little one, keep reading your Bible and praying. And that would have been a reasonably good response. It would have been a biblical response. It is, after all, what verse 15 says. But I didn't say that. I got my Bible out. We sat down on the sofa and I turned to, you don't need to turn it, but we, I turned to John, uh, to John chapter 6 and verse 37 and I read these words from Jesus. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And knowing the answer to this question, I said to my child, have you come to Jesus? And yes, they said. And then I said, looking again at John 6, 37, I said, look what Jesus tells us here. He says that God the Father gave you to Jesus like a gift. You are God's gift to Jesus. And like any lovely present, Jesus isn't going to let you go. And then we looked at John 6 again, and I said, look what it says here. Anyone given to me by my Father, I will never drive away. And then we talked about walking to school and how they loved walking on little walls that were on the way to school and how I would take hold of their hand as they walked along the walls. And if they wobbled, I would hold on to them so tightly that they never fell off. And I said, you've never fallen off a wall with me holding on to your hand, have you? No, they said. And I said, look, Jesus is much stronger than me. He has such a tight grip of you that he will never let you go. He will hold me fast. Now that, you see, is what we have in the rest of this section in 2 Thessalonians. So from read the word, stand firm, firm and hold on, which is the, 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 that's the big take home for us. And secondly, loved by God, chosen, saved and sanctified. In the first 12 verses of the chapter, as we looked at last week, Paul has spoken, you see, of the mighty power of the man of lawlessness, Satan. 
He's warned of the way Satan wants to deceive people and, and so get them to turn away from the Lord and to start, start following the devil. And the people who are deceived are those who, do you remember from last week, verse 10, don't love the truth, and verse 12, don't believe the truth. And that's why, verse 15, we need to be people who hold on to the truth. But before Paul writes verse 15, he says to the Thessalonian Christians, verse 13, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is dense and deep theology. It's not complicated, just dense and deep. And these words, though, are are wonderfully assuring of the love that God has for Christians. First, see, God has shown his love in election, loved in election. See it there in verse 13. You are loved by the Lord because from the beginning God chose you. It's a remarkable thought. Christians are chosen before the beginning of time. That is mind-blowing. And while you and I won't be able to get our minds around it, no matter how much we try to, we just can't get our mind around that. And while it might raise other questions, still this is deeply comforting. You were chosen before the beginning reassures us of God's love for us. Let me take you back to your school days and playtime or when you're on the sports field. Remember those times when two people would be appointed as captains to choose the rest of the class from the rest of the class, the people they wanted on their teams. Some of you would have been brilliant at sport and you'd have been chosen first by the captain. Others here, shall we say, we were sportingly challenged. And like me, you might well remember the agony of being the last one chosen. Only chosen because there was no one else left to choose. Look how wonderful this is, verse 13. God chose you before the beginning, before the creation of the world, as Paul puts it in Ephesians. God didn't choose you because he had to, because there was no one left to choose. He chose you from the beginning. And he didn't choose you because there was something good in you, because you were good at sport. He chose you before the world began, before you did anything, before you were created. That is wonderfully reassuring. Because if you were chosen to be on the team because you are good, that puts a huge pressure on you continuing to perform. What happens when you have a bad game? Will you be dropped? You weren't chosen because you were good and you weren't chosen because there was no one else left to choose. You were chosen from the beginning because, verse 13, you are loved. Chosen in election, it's deeply reassuring. And second, chosen to be saved, verse 13. See, in contrast, um, this is in contrast to verse 10 that we looked at last week. Verse 10, those who are perishing. No, we've been chosen to be saved. We are not going to face the terrifying prospect that we saw in chapter 1, verse 9, being punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord for all eternity. That's not our eternal destiny. No, we've been chosen to be saved from that. And save for a wonderful future. A day that we saw back in chapter 1 verse 10. When we'll be glorified. When we'll be transformed to be like Jesus. When we'll be everything we should be. 
loved in election, chosen to be saved, and then thirdly, saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. See, because we've been saved to be made like Jesus one day, that's what we saw back in chapter 1. So chapter 2, verse 13, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. One day we'll be like Jesus, glorified, holy, that is sanctified, fully sanctified, And so we are to live differently now, to begin to be now what we will be then. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. See, the Holy Spirit is given us to enable us to live holy lives, sanctified lives, holy and sanctified, same word. The Holy Spirit is given to make us more like Jesus. Wonderfully, God chooses us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. John Newton, the man who was embroiled in the slave trade in the 18th century, but who then became a Christian, John Newton said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Every real Christian knows the truth of this. I, Paul, am very aware that I am far from the person that I should be. And I look forward to that day in eternity when I will have been changed to be completely like Jesus. But while I still have a long way to go in becoming the person I should be, I can still testify to the sanctifying work of the Spirit in me. I can see the way he's changed me from who I used to be, changed my actions and my attitudes. What a relief that is. I don't know you ever do this. Sometimes I reflect on what I was when I was a 20-year-old before I was saved. And um, when I remember that, I then project the outcome of my life had I continued with my self-centered, hedonistic and materialistic goals that were driving me back then. I imagine how life would have panned out had I continued to be swept along by the power of lawlessness in the world. And honestly... It sends a shiver down my spine. I can imagine the carnage of broken relationships and the hurt that I'd have caused. I know I've not been perfect since becoming a Christian, but had the Holy Spirit not done his sanctifying work in me, my life would have resulted in relational havoc. It's a wonderful thing that God loves me so much to change me. See, I'm loved in election. I'm chosen to be saved. I'm saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And fourth, All this is through belief in the truth. Yes, we're chosen before the creation of the world, but God's saving us and his sanctifying work comes about, end of verse 13, through belief in the truth. And verse 14, he called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've been considering some mind-stretching theology for the last few moments. I hope I haven't lost you. I hope hope this hasn't sort of got you all caught or confused. But one of the things I love about this particular Bible passage as I've been studying it this week is um, what I might call the biblical balance in Paul's words. Just to flip over the page on the handout if you're still with me and I'll show you three ways this happens. Firstly, there's harmony between word and spirit. See, sometimes people drive a wedge between the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So I've heard some people rather pejoratively describe Christchurch Forward as a Word church while they are part of a Holy Spirit church. 
Unhelpfully, they drive a wedge between word and spirit. But here, you see the sanctifying work of the spirit comes, end of verse 13, through belief in the truth. Well, of course it does. Because Jesus called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit is the author of the truth, the Bible. It was the Holy Spirit, he himself, who inspired the Bible writers, who carried them along. So his sanctifying work is completely tied up with his word of truth, the Bible. As I'm reading these words, I'm reading the words of the Spirit. God the Holy Spirit speaks to me through the word. And he uses his dynamic and life-changing word to bring about sanctification in me, to make me more like Jesus. See, there's great harmony between word and spirit here in these verses. There's harmony between election and proclamation. We've seen in these verses how Christians are chosen before the creation of the world. That leaves some people saying, what's the point of evangelism then? But the Bible never asks that because, verse 14, God calls us through the gospel. See the balance? See the harmony? Wonderfully, I was chosen before the beginning, before the world began. But I was saved from the power of lawlessness when my brother told me the gospel, when he proclaimed the gospel to me and I believed the truth. Both are true. There's harmony. Harmony between word and spirit. Harmony between election and proclamation. And third, harmony between sovereignty and human responsibility. Yes, my salvation is all God's work. Do you see it? Verse 13, he chose me. Verse 13, he saved me. Verse 14, he called me. It's all the work of God. But that doesn't mean I'm to sit back and do nothing. Verse 15, where we started... Stand firm and hold on to the teachings. Isn't that brilliant, you see? God's love and election gives me assurance that God has a firm grip on me. It's not all down to me. That's why the sermon didn't end earlier. It's not all down to me, but I have still to stand firm and hold on. Keep gathering with God's people to hear God's word. Make time every day to read the Bible. There's great harmony in these verses, isn't there? And we can uh, see the harmony in this little Bible passage right here. We'll only have problems with these great Bible doctrines when we try to polarize the argument. Whenever we take one without the other, God's sovereignty without human responsibility, election without proclamation, spirit without word. So what have we seen so far? Read the words, stand firm and hold on. Loved by God, chosen, saved and sanctified. Lastly and far more briefly, and we really nearly are there now, pray eternally, encouraged and strengthened in everything. Verse 16. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Again, there's, there's great harmony here. In verse 15, Paul tells the Thessalonians to be sure to stand firm and hold on. And then he prays for them. Because he knows it's God who, verse 17, will strengthen them. See the harmony? You hold on, but God's the one who's going to strengthen you. 
As we've been working through two Thessalonians together, we've seen how often in this letter Paul prays for the Thessalonians. And uh, we've stopped along the way, do you remember? And we've stopped to think about how we should pray. At the beginning of chapter 1, we saw that Paul prayed thankfully. He was thankful in prayer. At the end of chapter 1, we saw that Paul prayed constantly or persistently. So we saw that it's important that we are persistent in prayer. Here we see that Paul prays eternally. It's not a great word, but what I mean by that is that the truth of eternity shaped how he prayed. He had an eternal perspective in prayer. It's what we should expect. The whole letter is about the return of Christ, about that great day when Jesus returned to wrap up history as we know it, when those who don't know Jesus will face eternal judgment, when his people will be gloriously changed to be like Jesus and gathered to be with him forever. So it's no wonder that Paul's prayer is shaped by eternity. See, let me just show you that. Verse 16, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us. Let me stop there. How did he love us? We've just seen that, verse 13. He loved us by choosing us from the beginning. He loved us in eternity past. So verse 16 again, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us from eternity past and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, eternity in the future. This prayer is completely shaped and influenced by eternity, past and future. Christians are loved from eternity past and in Christ we have the certain hope and encouragement of eternity in the future. So we pray in the light of eternity that God would, verse 17, encourage our hearts and strengthen us in every good deed and word. Eternity should change how we live in the present. Strikingly, verse 17 is not a prayer for hardships to go away. And remember, the Thessalonians were being persecuted for being Christians. Yet this is not a prayer for troubles to be taken away, but for us to be encouraged and strengthened in every good deed and word. To be encouraged and strengthened to live as we should in everything we do. Every good deed and word, that's everything we do. That's the whole of the Christian life, the whole of life. For us to keep living as Christians in what we do and what we say until we are finally with Jesus in eternity. People are very kind to me. They often ask me how I am, how I'm doing. I'm so grateful for people being so thoughtful. Then they often ask me how my children are. And wonderfully, at the moment, I'm able to say, all three of our children are following Jesus. It's brilliant. And I say a little bit about that. And then I often say something like that. And after that, everything is detail. See, that's the big thing. Are we following Jesus? Will we be with him in eternity? After that, everything's detail. The question is, is that how we pray? Does that shape our praying? Does eternity shape our praying for others and for ourselves? Is the big thing we pray for unbelievers that they would be saved? Is the main thing we pray for Christians and for ourselves that we would keep going as Christians? And be encouraged and strengthened to live our whole lives for Christ? Or is our focus in our prayers, our career, our relationships, our financial security, our real estate, our leisure time, our good health or sport or holidays or hobbies or whatever? The secret power of lawlessness is at work in the world. All the time the evil one is trying to take us away from following God's law. 
unless we are very focused and very clear and very determined, we will easily find ourselves drifting or worse, swept away. We'll find ourselves giving up meeting with God's people, not reading God's word. And then it is very easy to let go of the one thing in this world that is unchanging, the one thing that can keep us safe in the torrent of lawlessness. So then, verse 15, stand firm and hold on to the teachings of the apostles, the Bible. That's the only thing you need to remember. Well, along with everything else I said in the passage. Let's pray. Well, before we sing, let me pray. Um, In the very words of the Apostle Paul, um, verse 16 and 17, I'll pray it for us all. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, And by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage our hearts and strengthen us in every good deed and word. Amen.